Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I don't know if you realize it, but when we worship, a lot of the songs written in the world today are about us and what we experience and what God has done for us, and it's important for us to take our eyes off ourselves and sing directly to the Lord. Those of you that were at Sisters on Friday night will notice we sang a really old song from over 20 years ago. Why? Because it's about the Lord, and it's to Him. And uh, we need to think when we sing. We don't just come in here for a vibe. It's great when there's a vibe, but it's much more than that. And uh, we want to give God the glory. Are you ready for the word this morning? Well, I did advertise because I was preaching one day and I was standing over there and I just happened to mention something about the fact that there always be richer people than you, better people than you, good, better looking people than you, people more educated than you. And I said, actually, you know, I need to speak sometime on godly confidence. And the whole church just erupted clapping and I was like, touched a nerve. So this morning, we're going to look at how to build godly confidence. Because there's a big difference between godly confidence and worldly confidence. That bolshy, arrogant, I'm out there, I'll tell you who I am, I'm somebody. There's a quiet godfidence that comes from the word. Brian Tracy, speaking about us, he's a business leader. He said, we are all brought up with feelings of inferiority and inadequacy. Our self-esteem and self-confidence are fragile. Our positive feelings about ourselves are like balloons, easily popped. Can you say amen? That's the truth of human nature. And uh, when you look at human beings, we've got to recognize why we're like this, why, why are we beset with feelings of inferiority and a lack of confidence, and why is it that sometimes our confidence can just go and be popped? Well, we've got to trace it back to the Garden of Eden. Isn't that true? That's where it all started and uh, before I read the text here where, where uh, we're going to go, I just want to remind you that in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord told Adam and Eve, listen to this, he said, I think it's in verse 16, he said, you are free, you are free to eat of every tree in the garden except the one in the middle. God is interested in your freedom, not your limitation. And sometimes the church is viewed as a place of limitation. No, no, there's certain things we just don't do, but he's given us a lot that we can enjoy. Amen? Freedom, blessing, favor, and uh, the Lord promised them freedom, but they decided to respond to the devil's words. And the devil presented her with a fruit, and we pick up here in Genesis 3 and verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. We're never happy unless we can drag others down with us. Who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, watch this, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? You'll notice here that because of sin, shame entered the world, and now there's this automatic 
response that we have to cover up and to make coverings so that people don't see the real us. Do you know, do you, Arian, you can't clap all the time because you trigger them and then I can't preach. <laughs> You're a blessing. You're a blessing. You're not different is in the next service. No one claps and then I'm like, thank you. Do you know that overdressing, I'm not talking about dressing nicely or being fashionable, some people overdress. You see them, you're like, it's because there's deep inferiority, and so we use possessions and things to compensate for what is actually a lack of confidence. And it all stems from the Garden of Eden. Sin will take away our confidence, but God's righteousness will bring it back. And we've got to understand the roots of this stuff because if you, if you use externals, externals can never cover your shame and your sin. It's internals, it's Christ in us that causes us to rise above. And the word confidence, confidence, comes from the Latin fides, meaning faith, and con, meaning with. So when you've got confidence, you are with faith, or you, or you have a, a uh, what's the word, with trust, if you like, you have a trust in something that gives you confidence. And normally most people's confidence is the trust in themselves. The trust in their possessions, their education, their intelligence, their money, the people they know, etc. But our confidence comes from the Lord. And we put our trust in Him. And confidence is essential. If you don't have confidence, you'll never be a high achiever. High achievers are confident. Um, entrepreneurs are confident. They take risks. They step out and they, and, and they do things that the average person is too afraid to do. When you have that with faith, you can do things that other people can't do. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, talking about the kind of confidence we have, it says, let us have confidence then and approach God's throne where there is grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. We mustn't cower we must know that we've got confidence in God. And then again it says in Hebrews 10, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. When you put your confidence in God, he will richly reward you. I'm going to give you eight ways that you can build godly confidence if we have the time this morning. I say if we have the time because the clock ticketh exceedingly quicketh. And if you don't know where that verse comes from, it's Imaginations chapter 1. And verse 1. Are you all ready? So the first place that we've got to build godly confidence is don't base it on achievements, possessions, and pride. You may have achieved a lot in your life, but that's not where your confidence should come from. You may have been born into a wealthy family. You may have been born into privilege. You, you may feel a great confidence in yourself. It's good to have that good sense of stability in your life, but don't base your confidence on that. Because it's not about wealth, it's not about birth, it's not about race, it's not about status, it's not about position, it's not about possessions. You live in a lovely home, but that shouldn't give you confidence. In fact, you ought to be careful that that doesn't make you feel superior to other people. Even if you worked hard and you achieved that, you've got to constantly humble yourself. And so it can't come from religious passion, fame, or wealth or power, knowledge, it's got to come from God. And if you, you build your confidence on temporal things, when temporal things collapse, so will your confidence. If your confidence is in the economy, guess what? When the economy collapses, your confidence will go. But if your confidence is in God, you'll say, despite COVID, despite the economy, my confidence is in the Lord. 
Notice this verse here, Proverbs 11, verse 7. It says, when the wicked die, their hope dies with them. Confidence placed in riches comes to nothing. You can't place your hope in temporal things. In fact, let me repeat this. There will always be people richer than you. There will always be people who have better cars than you. You might buy the top of the range car, the one with all the bells and the whistles, the one with the high performance motor, where the seats are all leather and it comes with all the extras, but then you'll find out someone's got five cars and that's just one of the lesser ones. Isn't that true? You might think you're really good looking and tell yourself I'm amazing and people like me and people put me on TV and I, I can sing and all that stuff, but you always find there's someone who's sold more than you. Ask all the singers, actors, and famous people their confidence is in that, and that's why they get depressed. That's why they're on drugs. Our confidence cannot be rooted in those things. Even though when God blesses you with success, you need to enjoy it, but your confidence doesn't come from it. You see, the apostle Paul understood this, and he said in Philippians chapter 3, he says, for it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, he says, have reasons for such confidence. Then he lists his confidence that comes from achievements and possessions and religiosity. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I don't just come from any race, you know. And then he says, of the tribe of Benjamin, my tribe. You know, we, we, you know we, we're not only this race, but we are. Some people are like that. Yeah? I'm not only this race, but I, don't, I, I live in Santon, you know. Come on now. Let me move on. And he says, Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. In other words, I know the Bible as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Jeez. Then he says, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know what he's literally saying? I have a confidence in Jesus that nothing else can give me. Don't get it from where you come from, your race, your status, your looks, or anything like that. Get it from Christ. Number two, and I build on to this now, derive your confidence from the right source. Your confidence cannot come from people's affirmation or their praise. A lot of actors, actresses, singers, performers, their, their confidence comes from the amount of affirmation they receive. In the ministry, You've got to be careful, and thank you, Aaron, for clapping today, but you've got to be careful that when you speak to a congregation, if they don't clap, you can't let that be the measure by which you preach. It's a very intimidating thing. You've got to constantly serve people because your source of confidence is not their response. Otherwise, you preach and teach for a response rather than according to the will of God. And we've got to be careful we don't get it from the wrong source You've got to get it from God alone. Jeremiah 17, and you know, we're reading a bit of scripture here, but it's important today. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited uh, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Can you see that? They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. 
You've got to build your confidence on that which is spiritual, not which that is circumstantial. And too many of us put our hope in the wrong things, in the wrong people, but it must come from the right source. The Lord is the source of our confidence. Now, one of the problems in the Christian world has been this, and I have misquoted the scripture sometimes, not intending to do it, but we have been taught about self-esteem over the years, and the self-esteem movement has damaged the world. Self-esteem movement started in the 1980s, and people were told to tell themselves, I'm special, I'm lovely, I'm a child of God. I was watching one of the uh, famous celebrities in our country, and she was saying on a program that I watched recently, I'm a child of the gods. And so you self-talk yourself, and the Christian world was told, yeah, that's what Christians should do, because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. We go, yeah. No, actually, it's not what it means. What it means is this. Love your neighbor means take care of and take responsibility for your neighbor like you take care of yourself and take responsibility for yourself. You saw what we were doing there. A limited, limited help. I mean, there's so much help going to Kwasin Hotel. We don't just want to throw your money away. Be very careful where we give. Ask Mamanukska in the front row who heads the Rivers Foundation. We're careful where we give. So we don't just want to look impressive. We want to channel the money correctly. But that's a pretty significant amount of money. But you see, we take care and responsibility of others. It's not, I love me, I'm awesome, so now you're awesome. That's called psychobabble. And it has damaged our entire world because it is not the source of our confidence. Christian uh, prayer card that was once sold in a bookshop says this, Lord, help me to see myself as you see me, no matter how beautiful it is. <laughs> That's what Christians are doing. And a lady by the name of Jean Twenge, I shared some of the content of one of her books with the staff recently. Uh, she's a psychologist and author. And she wrote a book called Generation Me, Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever. And she says this, you can read with me. She says these phrases, believe in yourself, anything is possible, and you have to love yourself first before you can love someone else. Those phrases are taken for granted as advice we give teens and adults, but they're very modern, at least in written language. They were very uncommon before about 1980. Then they became much more popular. They're all very individualistic and they're all very self-focused. They're also all delusional. Believe in yourself and anything is possible? Nope. It's just not true. You can believe in yourself and tell yourself, I'm talented. I am gifted. And then you go on idols. And you discover the reality. How many of those idols people haven't sung and then the judges say, you can't sing. I don't care what you say. I know who I am. And everybody's laughing. You see, self-esteem has to be rooted in reality. Interesting thing, a, a Cuban high jumper, uh, his name is Javier Sotomayor. He holds the world record for the high jump. No one's beaten him, 2.45 meters. Way back in 1993, he jumped that. He has never jumped that again, and no one else has ever jumped it. So no matter how much you tell yourself, I can do it, I'm good, I'll show you, I'm going to achieve great things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's not true. Are you with me? There's a sense where you can say that and you can be delusional rather than be real because it's coming from you, the wrong source. It should come from God. Am I making sense today? You see, this is taught in schools, 
from the 1980s, and it's turned us into a nation or into a world of narcissists. Jean Twenge goes on to say this. She says, the purpose of school for children is to learn, not for them to feel good about themselves all the time. Just be yourself sounds like good advice at first. But, but what if you're a jerk? What if you're a serial killer? Come on now. Maybe you should be someone else. Uh, believe in yourself is fine, but anything is possible? No, it's not. Expressing yourself, respecting yourself, and being honest with yourself are somewhat tautological, in other words, like rhetorical, but also usually directly harmful. But if you have to love yourself first, it has a crucial flaw. People who really love themselves are called narcissists, and they make horrible relationship partners. But this has seeped into the church, and we kind of absorb this stuff as though it's normal. It's not. Our source of our confidence is incredibly important. And parents make a massive mistake when they keep constantly trying to boost their child's self-esteem by telling them, you're amazing, you're awesome, you can do anything. And, and you think you're building them up. No, you need to channel them and direct them in the right area and talk about their gifts. Train up in the child in the way that they should go. Find their gifts and then boost them. But don't talk nonsense to them because they won't be able to deal with failure. Uh, Jean Twenge goes on to say this, we are doing kids a tremendous disservice when we lead them to believe that just because they are special to us, the rest of the world will treat them this way. The best preparation they can receive is not narcissism or even self-esteem, but your love and support and your message to them that hard work and perseverance are more important to success than self-belief. I want to reiterate this, just forgive me for belaboring this point a bit, but uh, Professor Maureen Stout, she wrote a book called The Feel Good Curriculum. It's about schools and their feel good curriculum. And she says, another facet of this movement says that teachers should not correct children's mistakes lest they hurt their self-esteem. This is misguided. Children learn by having their mistakes corrected, and if their self-esteem is hurt when they later find out that they've been doing something wrong for years and aren't prepared... We are in danger of producing individuals who are expert at knowing how they feel rather than educated individuals who know how to think. The whole world is full of this stuff, and you are in danger as a Christian of drawing that and adopting that. Your source needs to be God. And you need to base everything, uh, all your confidence on Him. Number three, are you still okay? That took a while. Know that God is for us, not against us. You've got to believe that God is for you. You know, we talk about God being on our side. Well, God is actually on his side. He's not on your side, but he's for us. So we use the term, he's on our side. And God is for us. He loves us, cares for us, and calls us his friends. And we need to know that God is for us. Romans chapter 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us. And when you know that, you will tackle things, you will tackle challenges and do things because you know God is for you. Are you with me? David had that sense when he took on Goliath. He didn't say, I can, I will, my father told me. He didn't use psychobabble. He knew that God was for Israel. God was for the Jewish people. He understood the Old Testament and based on that, he went up to the giant and took on the giant because he knew who God was and he knew who he was. Are you with me? He knew scripture. His confidence did not come from self-talk. It came from his knowledge of the word of God. And listen to this. 
He also didn't listen to Goliath. If you want your confidence to be lost, listen to what the enemy is telling you. Because the enemy will tell you you're naked and make you ashamed. And if you, the louder the enemy shouts and the more you listen, the army was powerless. David didn't listen to what the enemy said. He listened to what God said. And I want to take you back. David would have known these verses, Deuteronomy 14. Uh, the Lord says, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. So he knew God was for Israel, and you knew God was for him as he stepped out to defend the people of God, and that's what gave him a confidence to take on the giant. He didn't just psych himself up. He wasn't bolshy. Uh, I've met people that are, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing in the Christian world when you are a bolshy, especially if you're a pastor, when you're full of yourself, and you want to tell everybody, oh, pride comes before a fall. We have to be very careful. We're learning some lessons in our world today that are, that are scary. That are scary. And can I just say this? We talk about the volunteers meeting. This volunteers meeting is probably one of the most important volunteers meetings we're going to have. You know why? Because there's talk in the world today that volunteers are being abused. They're free labor. And if you let that negativity get into your head, we'll have no volunteers in our church when it's actually a biblical principle. But is there abuse? Yes, because some people think that the church exists to serve them and their vision and their dreams, not that they exist to serve the church. That's where things go wrong. Let me get back to the point. You see, in 1 Samuel 17, as David walks up to the giant, uh, he says to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then he's full of confidence. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds. You see, he, he's not just saying, I will, I will, I will. I'm good, I'm amazing. I've done it before, I can do it again. He knows who God is. He knows who he is in God. And so his source of his confidence is God is for him, not against him. If you secretly believe that God is against you, you will never be able to tackle anything big because you will always believe, no, he, he won't bless me. He won't help me. And they listen to the enemy, but we have got to listen to the Lord. Number four, this is a way to build your confidence. Walk in righteousness and please God. Do you know that when you live right, a confidence comes into your life? You're not ashamed. You're not trying to cover your nakedness. You're not trying to pretend Isaiah 32 and verse 17 says, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. When you live right, and listen, we all fail. All of us fail regularly and wish we didn't fail. Amen? But we've got to live as best we can honoring God. And as we do that, a confidence comes into your life that you're serving the Lord, that you're attempting to lean on his strength and walking with him and relying on him and you find a confidence comes. But when you're trapped in sin or secret sin or you're taking drugs on the side or you're visiting prostitutes or you're doing something that's, that you know the word of God speaks against, it cannot give you confidence. It drains you of confidence. And it's a terrible way to live because then not only you drain from confidence because you feel bad about yourself, you know God is not for you because he's not happy about that. And so it starts compounding. You've got to believe that God is for you, but then you've got to live right. Proverbs 28 tells us this, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them, 
but the godly are bold as lions. Confidence comes when you live right. And when you are honoring God, there's a great flow of it in your life. And I want to just encourage you, if you're failing at the moment and uh, you're living with condemnation, just make a decision. I'm going to confess my sins and I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go God's way. You say, but I did it yesterday. Do it today. Because some of us have to do it every day. Sometimes twice a day. Because you can read your Bible in the morning and pray and by lunchtime, you're starting to go off track. So you've got to repent and yield again and then receive his forgiveness. Beth Moore said this about forgiveness and how hard it is sometimes. She says, agreeing with God over our forgiven state is just as important as agreeing with God over our sin. If Satan can tempt us to hide our sin and refuse to confess, he'll tempt us not to attempt, sorry, not to accept our forgive, forgiven and purified state. If we persist in feeling bad, we will think destructively and ultimately act on it. Don't let the devil get away with that. You've got to receive your forgiveness, and when you walk in righteousness, a confidence comes. Number five, be convinced of the promises of God. Notice, be convinced. Not know the promises of God. Be convinced of them. When you're convinced of them, listen to me, you will have a confidence that is supernatural. Jesus knew the promises of God, and because he knew them and was convinced of them, he allowed them to crucify him. Because he said, I am convinced that God is for me. I'm convinced that because I've lived righteously, and my confidence comes from him, that if I give myself on that cross, he will raise me from the dead. He didn't psych himself up. He knew that he knew that he knew. Are you with me? You need to be convinced of the promises of God. It'll give you confidence when you step out, when you start new projects, when you open a business. When you do something, you'll be like, I know. The word says. And bear in mind, don't be convinced of scripture that's out of context. Make sure you're convincing yourself of the right promises of God and the sound promises of God. Paul knew that too. He, Jesus knew he'd raised from the dead. So did Paul. In fact, he says here in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, so we are always confident. And uh, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So he's basically saying, you know what, when I'm here, I'm, I'm away from God, but when I die, I'm going to be in his presence, and I'm absolutely confident of that. Are you confident of that? You've got to be. You've got to can't just be confident of life's achievement, achievements. You've got to be confident of where you're going to go when you die. Are you with me? And I love what Hebrews 13 says. It says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Are you convinced of the promises of God? When you're convinced, there's a confidence that comes. We've not been able to journey along without a confidence in God's promises. Everything we've done is because we were confident in the promises of God. Every campus we planted, every person we've raised up, we were confident that God promised us those things in his word. Number six, are you still there? Don't be preoccupied with your weaknesses and failings. 
You will never have confidence if you're preoccupied with weaknesses and failings. Our human nature is, tends to focus on where we're weak. And we tend to look at what we're not good at instead of looking at what we're good at. It's a strange thing, eh? And you need to focus on your strengths, not on your weaknesses or failings. Um, ladies, uh, Dove, you know the, the Dove stuff? They did a global research because Dove wants to know what women are thinking and feeling so they can target them. And Dove found uh, recently that only 4% of women around the world considered themselves beautiful. Wait, that's up from 2% in 2004. So only 4% of women in the world feel they're beautiful. Why? Because they look at themselves in the mirror. They say when men look in the mirror, they go, hmm. When women look in the mirror, they go, oh. Women see their faults, men see their strengths. Interesting thing. And it's a challenge because we need to recognize how this works in us because we tend to look for the mistakes. As I get older, no, it's a very hard thing. You, young people, you don't understand it. One day you'll, you'll see. You go to the mirror in the morning, you're, there's someone else in the bathroom. No, it's you. You are not what you were. And your confidence cannot come from that. I do not look like I looked when I was young and she was attracted to me. And she always used to tell me, Andre. Now she tells me, Andre. <laughs> no, listen, we've got to get used to the fact that we're getting older, we're changing, and we've got some strengths. We may not have what other people have, but if you focus on your weakness and your failings, you're done for. And uh, a very interesting thing here that, uh, that they discovered they say 80% of women think other women are beautiful, but not themselves. Did you hear about the granny who, who was asked by her grandchild? Uh, by, uh, the grandchild said, Granny, why is your bottom so big? You know, they just, she said, my child, God has given me this big bottom so that wherever I go, I have my own cushion with me. So the grandchild said, Granny, when I get big, I also want a big bottom like yours. How many of you know most people are trying to reduce it, except for Kim and others? But yeah, you've got to really look at your best features, not look at your lack. Eh? And uh, David did not focus on his weaknesses when he attacked the giant. He focused on his strengths. The Lord who helped me against the lion and the bear, the Lord who is on my side, I think I can tackle it. So he wasn't just, it's not psychobabble where you try and convince yourself of something you'll never be able to do. You look at your strengths, you look at your gifts, you look at your abilities, and then you act. And it's very important, it's especially important if you're in public life or you do public speaking, you can't compare yourself to other people. You have to know what you're good at and you have to be you. And it's such a freeing thing when you discover that. Uh, Doris Mortman once said, unless you make peace with who you are, you'll never be content with what you have. And uh, people, listen, People who lack confidence, you know what they do? They end up copying other people instead of being themselves, and they can never realize their best potential. And uh, don't just look at your weaknesses and don't get hard on yourself. You'll end up destroying your confidence. Sharon James wrote a book called Enough, and I've quoted from it before. Um, she says, failure doesn't have to be fatal or final. During the time of failure, the enemy will tell you to quit trying, that you're hopeless, worthless, and powerless to succeed. Don't believe him. 
Reject the lie and replace it with truth. I'm not a failure. I'm a child of God that sometimes fails. Number seven, filter and evaluate all criticism carefully. We live in a world where people will volunteer their opinions readily, even when you don't ask for them. Isn't that true? And not all criticism is valid or constructive. So we have to learn how to deal with this, and we can be so open and so sensitive that every time we get criticized, we can't handle it, and it'll eat away at your confidence. When I first went into the ministry, it was one of the most difficult things, and sometimes it still is when people write you nonsense, but you know, it comes with the territory. And uh, if you're gonna be on social media, it comes with the territory. If you've got your, con con uh, your comments enabled, be prepared. Because people will volunteer stuff that you never asked for. I'm on television, and when I first went on television, it was with trepidation. One of my friends encouraged me strongly to do it. It wasn't my idea, I wasn't keen on it. I thought to myself, if I'm out there, I'm gonna get doctrinal letters, I'm gonna get criticized. And you know what, Life by Design has been pretty amazing, it's been pretty wonderful, it's been fantastic actually. And, and I get mostly positive comments. I appreciate you. Recently, they moved our times around and people were writing us emails asking, where are you? You're gone. I woke up this morning and you went there. <laughs> but every now and again, you'll get a comment. And one guy wrote me a comment. I mentioned it before. He, he said, sermon today was exceptional. Pity you wore those running shoes and dishonored God, you know. Because I was wearing a... It's like, you've got to shrug it off. Otherwise, you'll never wear running shoes again, and you'll let people dictate who you are. No, this is Rivers Church. This is who I am. If you don't like it, don't watch. And you've got to get used to that, especially if you're on social media. Social media is probably the number one cause of people lacking confidence. And you, you'll try and get your confidence from it, because then you, you, girls, you post all those different pictures, and the ones where people dance now. Why? What is that? I go through the, the, the reels and everyone's dancing. <laughs> or they're wearing clothes and then they go, huh, and then the clothes change. And then they, huh, and then the clothes change again. It's like, is that what people are preoccupied? Now, if you do that, awesome. I love the outfit. You've got nice legs. What about when they don't like it? Now you start to live on that as your source bad idea. You've got to live with God as your source. Can you say amen? And, and listen, I, I think what we need sometimes is we need God to deliver us from people. You know when the apostle Paul was called by God, the Lord said something interesting to him. I want to read it quickly. Yeah, the time is running out. Acts 26, he's relating his conversion in Acts 9. And he says, uh, this is what the Lord says, but get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant. You are to tell others what you have seen of me today, and I will show you in the future. Now, I love this. I will rescue you from the people of Israel and from the Gentiles to whom I will send you. Some people need rescuing from the people. And when I first went into the ministry, I needed God to rescue me from the people. Because if you listen to the people, your confidence will be destroyed. And you have to know who God has called you to be. You have to know your gifts and talents. You have to rely on Him as your source. And then you will be able to build a godly confidence, not a bolshiness or a pride, which often substitutes as a personality trait rather than a true confidence. Number eight, 
Get the victory in the small things. You know, if you get victory in small things, it'll give you confidence for bigger things. Remember what David said? The Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. You want to you have confidence for big things? Get victory in the small things. You want confidence to buy a house and to take on a, a, a property of your own, you don't own a home? Start cleaning your flat. Start looking after what you have. One day I'm going to drive a BMW 7 Series. But what are you doing with the rusty Toyota right now? Is it clean or is it filled with Kentucky chicken packets and boxes? I once got into a guy's car and it was like, you, didn't, you couldn't find the carpets. It was Kentucky chicken, it was McDonald's. You got in the car, you because it's, it's like, whoa, sorry, I haven't cleaned my car for a while. For a while? You haven't cleaned it since Melchizedek. Look after the little, and God will give you more. See, it's interesting that it says this, and in church it's the same. You want to go into the I'm, I'm going to preach to thousands. Well, come volunteer in the car park. Come on up. I hear that often. I'm preaching to thousands. Yeah, but you think I'm just going to let you up here? Because you've got a gift. No, get victory. Then when that confidence is of God, we'll let you up here. Amen? Paul says this in... in, um, in uh, in uh, 1 Timothy, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting older and I have to like, find my place. I will not increase the type size yet. <laughs> 1 Timothy 3, those who do well as deacons, that's volunteers, will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased what? Confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Our confidence needs to come from God. And if you start small, you build an increased confidence, causes you to do big things. Our confidence needs to come from the right place, and I hope that this has helped you a little bit to build godly confidence. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.